Welcome to Forgotten TV, the podcast that brings you TV memories of the 70s and 80s with a focus on short-lived TV shows, pilots, and made-for-TV movies. I'm Chris Cooling. First, I would like to acknowledge a milestone for Forgotten TV. Just the other day, Forgotten TV hit 100 likes on the Facebook page and 200 follows on Twitter the same day. This episode will cross the threshold of 1,000 downloads for the podcast. Thank you to all the existing listeners and a welcome to the new ones. And remember, if you're playing this from a web browser on your PC or Mac, this show is available to download and take with you on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or any podcast app. 1987 a notable year in American television. The Fox TV network debuted in April, marking the first time since 1955 that there were four U.S. networks with primetime programming. The network debuted two shows, Married with Children and The Tracy Ullman Show, which were broadcast three times each during the night so that viewers watching other networks can switch over and sample the shows, making it the first totally rad TV network. Now I know why they call this place Fox. The Simpsons began airing as animated shorts on The Tracy Ullman Show. And 1987 was the year a number of highly recognizable and memorable shows made their debut. civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before. There were also forgotten TV shows such as The Popcorn Kid, O'Hara, and The New Adventures of Beans Baxter. One such show was The Highwayman. Like The Popcorn Kid, Otherworld, and The Fantastic Journey, I had not seen The Highwayman since it was on the air in 1988. In 2004, Sam Jones told me hardly anyone mentioned The Highwayman to him at public appearances because of its obscurity. But with the popularity of YouTube and people posting their saved video recordings, it becomes possible to view these shows again and grab sound bites and goodies to include in the podcast. When discussing The Highwayman, we're really talking about two different things. First, there's the TV movie that aired September 20th, 1987 on NBC. This was followed by the series that ran from March until May of 1988 and lasted for nine episodes. First, let's cover the Highwayman TV movie. Created by 80s TV producer extraordinaire Glenn A. Larson and Douglas Hayes. Glenn Larson was responsible for Buck Rogers, Auto Man, Battlestar Galactica, Knight Rider, and just about anything cool you remember from 70s and 80s TV. The Highwayman was clearly influenced by shows that came before, such as The Road Warrior Films and Airwolf. Glenn Larson died in 2014. Doug Hayes was a TV writer-director, having directed nine episodes of the original Twilight Zone. He is credited as writer and director for the Highwayman TV movie, and this was his last professional effort before his death in 1993. 
Apparently set in the present-day Southwest, the pilot movie establishes a mysterious marshal of some sort called the Highwayman. Sam J. Jones was the Highwayman, or just Highway, whose real name was never revealed, nor was the United States government agency that employed him specifically identified. Sam Jones had previously appeared as Flash Gordon in the now-cult classic 1980 film. Highway drove a custom big rig with computerized dash and bullet-shaped cab that protruded over the engine with what looked like dual-jet engines vertically mounted on each side. More about the rig later in Behind the Scenes. For now, let's just say the truck was multifunctional. This was part of an 80s, 90s TV fad where a distinct vehicle was featured, sometimes heavily as a plot device. Auto Man, Airwolf, Blue Thunder, Viper, and of course Knight Rider all were part of this. Why was this a popular trend? Well, I believe one reason was a distinct vehicle is something a TV audience can immediately recognize and know what show they're watching when you're changing channels. Another reason a vehicle connected to a show is something that's easily merchandisable and sold as a licensed toy. Also, sometimes these vehicles are great advertising for a manufacturer. We all know Kit was a Pontiac Trans Am, the A-Team van was a GMC Vandura, Viper was essentially a commercial for Dodge, and so on. In addition to Sam Jones, the Highwaymen also starred Claudia Christian, character actor John Quaid, G. Gordon Liddy in an early role, Lyle Alzado, late 70s horror icon Michael Berryman, prolific Native American actor Branscombe Richard, Jimmy Smits in one of his early roles, Wings Hauser, William Kerwin from the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Theresa Saldana, who would later be the wife of the commish, as well as child actor Kenny Morrison, all show up for the fun. Just like Buck Rogers nearly 10 years earlier, the TV movie opens to narration by William Conrad. They say he came into this world from someplace off the clock. And his mother was an ice-cold wind, his paw a fiery rock. It's told that on some starless nights his rig could up and glow, and folks who say they saw it coming swear they didn't see it go. Hear a lot of legends told when you ride the long, hard slab of some who say the man is good and some who say he's bad. But all agree who've ever tried to play a cheating hand, you only get one chance to draw against the highwayman. The film opens to Jennifer Runyon, the blonde co-ed being hit on by Bill Murray in the opening of Ghostbusters, driving her cherry red convertible down the highway when she is pulled off the road by some rough-looking motorcycle riders, including Branscombe Richard, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Michael Berryman, and Lyle Alzado. She is rescued just in time by an off-road driving big rig that flattens out the parked bikes of the men. Time to go now, miss. I, I don't know how to thank you. By going now. Wait, there's more narration? Okay. We are getting our money's worth out of Mr. Conrad. Most crimes in our society begin or end on some stretch of road where laws often terminate at county lines. Combating these legal blackouts is a new breed of lawman. Working in secret, they are known simply as highwaymen. This is the story and the legend of one such man, the highwayman. Back again, good buddies, and this is Dawn of the Dawn Patrol, breaking your way in a mighty 690. New Orleans. Your clear channel, 50,000 watts, home away from home. Here's one for a lonely gear jammer tearing up the slab down around the Gulf. Calls himself the Highwayman. I want to be hearing from you, fella. Now, let's all be hearing. It's hip to be square. 
That's Claudia Christian as the DJ, Dawn, and she's some type of dispatcher for the government agency Highway works for. She communicates with Highway via video chat in the cab of his rig. The biker gang, along with leader Bo Zeker, played by Jimmy Smits, plan and carry out a bank robbery, targeting very specific safety deposit boxes, and we are given a fairly standard police chase. While out looking for Zeker in a roadside bar, Highway instead finds Zeker's 12-year-old son, Travis. Wow. This looks like something from Close Encounters. But it turns out there may be more to the story than it seems. We get scenes of Highway testing out the obligatory new feature of stealth mode just installed, as well as a humorous interaction with local corrupt law enforcement. Highway gets himself thrown in jail to get a chance to finally talk to Zeker. It turns out the money stolen from the safety deposit boxes was dirty money from local baddie Ed Merrick, played by G. Gordon Liddy, who ran stolen Rolls Royces and who knows what else. The local cops have to let Highway go so they can tail him. We, of course, get treated to that invisible stealth mode teased earlier. First, you check in like this. Highwayman 1 to Master Key, arming full stealth. Please authorize. Sir, I have a request on Alpha Channel for full stealth. It's a Justice Department code. Southern Texas. Highwayman 1. Permission granted. Master key to Highwayman 1. Full stealth authorized. We received permission instantly. You are very high on the stealth test list. I thought I was the only one on the stealth test list. That too. Roger. Quickly now. Attach ground line to boot. Why do we have to do all this? To keep us from vaporizing. All set. Control. Going to stealth. challenges the acting leader of the bikers in a contrived battle which just seems like an excuse to have Sam Jones and Branscombe Richard literally oiled up and shirtless. A deadly rattlesnake will be pitched inside a darkened arena. You each have a razor-sharp knife and one hand tied behind your back. You will enter an arena completely sealed from light, while inside the darkened chamber, you will have only your senses of smell, hearing, and touch to seek out the other while avoiding the deadly snake. You can't think that's enough war elders' knives starting to slip. You can't get enough. The smell is repellent to the snake. Watch Trav. Buddy, I was hoping you'd sleep through this one. Don't do it, highwayman. Don't fight him. No, let's be friends instead. Brandishing a federal warrant, Highway extracts Zeker from jail and takes him to retrieve the stolen millions. The crooked cop force traps Highway and we're treated to another trick of the Highwayman's rig. Gullwing doors open above the bullet-nosed cab and out comes... A helicopter? Yes, this is an 80s Glenn Larson show. Anything is possible. Highway sticks his sidearm out the cockpit window and blows away all 11 police cruisers. And it turns out the bikers didn't rob the bank after all. They moved the money into other safety deposit boxes. Sir, you'll find all the money borrowed from your depositors in these bags. Borrowed? Oh yeah, never left the bank. So in fact, you were never robbed. But it's still stolen money. In that case, you might want to reward these men for recovering it. Reward them? Where are they going with those boxes? Uh, that's a personal matter. But those boxes will be returned. Of course, the uh, reward is entirely up to you. Oh, everybody, thank you very much for your patience. Have a pleasant afternoon. So I guess all is well? Only one thing left to do, take care of Merrick. After a quick chase, Merrick goes off a cliff. This is the dawn of a new day with more music coming your way.
And here's one for a lonely and confused gear jammer tearing at the slab, looking for a little direction. Why don't you give it to me? And Highway heads out on I-10 as DJ Don plays us out and Mr. Conrad buttons up the movie. This is the story and the legend of the Highwayman. Behind the Scenes. This TV movie aired Sunday, September 20th, 1987 at 8 p.m. Central against an ABC repeat of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, the CBS TV premiere of Mickey and Maude, and the Emmy Awards airing on the new Fox network, further fractioning the available TV audience. The Highwayman handily won the nightly ratings with a decent 19.3 rating, partially thanks to a great lead-in audience from a new Family Ties and the premiere of My Two Dads, which aired just before. The frequent use of pop music during the DJ Dawn scenes makes any DVD release problematic. As I've covered before, music licenses obtained for these shows only covered TV broadcasts and VHS releases, and clearances did not extend to future digital formats. If this were to ever see the light of day on DVD, the music would undoubtedly be replaced or edited out. And this TV movie was later retitled Terror on the Blacktop and shown on television as a standalone movie and also was released on VHS. Okay, let's talk about the rig. A 1980 Kenworth cabover with an 8V92 turbo Detroit diesel engine modified beyond recognition. The Mac plastered across the front notwithstanding. Built by John Ward Motorsports of Alpine, Texas, the custom rig reportedly cost $287,000. And I'm not sure if that was paid for by Fox Television, Larson's production company, or both. The interior shots of the rig dashboard clearly reused panels from the dashboard of Kit in Knight Rider. These panels were not really installed in the actual hero rig, the interior of which looked quite spartan. After the show, the builder kept the rig and started to convert it into an RV, installing exterior cargo hatches, windows, a side door, and a toilet, but never finished it out on the inside. The rig is still around. After some digging, I found that it was put up for auction in 2011 and bought by The Highwaymen USA Inc., a tattoo business. It is now a completely refurbished show vehicle and mobile tattoo parlor. You cannot make this up. The helicopter used in the show was an SA-341 Gazelle, a French utility helicopter, the same type of vehicle featured in the movie and TV series Blue Thunder. Now for a really cool behind-the-scenes item. Researching the show, I learned the now-defunct Galoob Toys obtained the toy license for the Highwaymen and produced several toy prototypes. Following up with the legendary toy stuff, formerly of Galoob, I was able to obtain exclusive photos of these proposed licensed toys. Followers of Forgotten TV on Twitter and Facebook, as well as several hundred others, have already seen these great pictures while I was researching the show. Toy prototypes included... 2.75-inch painted action figures of Highway, Jetto, and DC Montana, along with a larger unpainted sculpt of Jetto, a 6-inch unpainted prototype of a slot car of Highway's rig, a 6-inch painted toy of Highway's rig with detachable tractor unit and removable helicopter, an 18-inch painted toy version of Highway's rig with the detachable tractor unit, an opening gullwing doors and removable helicopter, as well as opening trailer cargo doors and roof. An 18-inch painted toy of Jetto's fifth-wheel style rig, which we'll cover later, with detachable sports car and opening car hood and cargo roof door. These were possibly shown in a buyer's catalog or at a toy show and never generated enough dealer interest to produce a toy line. Of course, as we'll cover, the show abruptly ending after nine episodes would not have helped. And you can find those pictures on the Forgotten TV Facebook page, as well as on my Twitter stream. Again, thanks to Toy Stuff for the great information and pictures of the Highwayman toys. The Highwayman will be right back. Come on home to HBO. 
it's time for a new breed of lawmen to hit the road. Lawmen ride the highway with a vengeance. Who are these two men? Sam Jones is the highwayman. Take a step on the wrong side of the law, and you get me on your tail. Jacko is Jetto. Bad luck. Together, we're assault and battery. Ride with the ultimate road warrior. The highwayman. Justice in a world gone bad. Watch us! Two guys out to energize your Friday. Aye! Coming in four days, The Highwayman. Yes, returning to energize our Fridays on NBC in March of 1988, The Highwayman returned, retooled as a series to replace recently canceled Rags to Riches. Why so late in the year? Mid-season shows usually come on around January. I'm not sure. There is not a lot of behind-the-scenes information out there about this series. I get the sense NBC was scrambling for a show to put on at 7 p.m. Central. Rags to Riches ended in January, and for six weeks they aired specials in that time slot. One thing is for sure. Rags to Riches was not a great lead-in to the NBC Friday night with Miami Vice and Sonny Spoon. I'm sure they were looking for something that tonally matched these other shows in the Friday night lineup. A few changes were made for the series. First, the invisible stealth mode is never seen again. It was probably an expensive effect. Instead, Highway now has a fancy sports car featured in some episodes that emerges from the trailer. The Highwaymen are now specifically referred to as Federal Marshals, and we are introduced to other Highwaymen. The series is far more sci-fi in tone than the backdoor pilot movie, with androids, aliens, time travel, and clones all being featured. And we finally get a date of when the series is set, 1992, just four years in the future from the current year. Claudia Christian's DJ Don character is no more, and we get three new regular characters. Highway's friend and fellow highwayman, Jetto, played by energetic, goofy Aussie footballer Mark Jackson, credited simply as Jacko. Oi! Jane Badler as Tanya Winthrop, who seemed to replace the DJ Don character. Tim Russ in his first regular series role as DC Montana, the technician that maintained the high-tech rigs. And a number of genre guest stars appear, as we will see. And we get a theme song by Dave Fisher and Rocky Davis, accompanied by video graphics that look like somebody was having fun with a video toaster. And new opening narration, again by William Conrad. There is a world. Just beyond now, where reality rides a razor-thin seam between fact and possibility. Where the laws of the present collide with the crimes of tomorrow. Patrolling these vast outlands is a new breed of lawman. Guarding the fringes of society's frontiers, they are known simply as highwaymen. And this is their story. Episode 1, Road Lord, guest starring Kent McCord, Anne Lockhart, and Clarence Williams III. In this initial episode, we are introduced to Jetto, 
fellow highwayman who initially has a rig identical to highways. As the episode opens, Steve, another highwayman, is apparently murdered. Highway investigates and uncovers some sinister goings-on at a mysterious manufacturing company called Global Guard. Jetto's rig is blown up as he helps with the investigation. Highway is shocked to find Steve seemingly alive, but something is very different about him. And Jetto gets a shiny new rig with the appearance of a sports car with fifth-wheel-style trailer hitched to the roof. In later episodes, we will see the same kit dash panels in his rig. Jetto's rig design was based on a German Steinwinter Supercargo, unveiled at a 1983 Frankfurt Motor Show. It was a cab under cargo trailer concept, and from what I read, truck drivers didn't like it at all, as it offered poor visibility and handling. A little digging, and it is clear that the one used in the show was just a custom one-off made for the show, and it could have been made from any number of vehicle chassis. The rig was last seen in 2014 at a truck yard in Montebello, California. And we meet DC Montana, who shows up with Jetto's new rig, and we hear Jetto's theme music, which would play throughout the series when he was up to something. get near the new wheels until we talk about the old ones. I've got places to go, Montana. I've already found through my report. Which doesn't track, Jetto. For a fist to come through that steel bulkhead, it would have to have the punching power of at least 25,000 pounds per square inch. That's impossible. Yeah, well, have a look for yourself. He's down there. He's down there! Where? Spread out an inch to the square mile. <laughs> I'm warning you, Jetto, this rig is strictly experimental, and if this wasn't an emergency situation... I get the picture, and the truck. <laughs> Happy hunting. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know how to ride that thing. Ah, bad luck! <laughs> oh, and we get a look at what Highway has been hauling around in that trailer. A 1988 Lotus Spirit. The riders taking a nod from the RV world, recognizing it's not practical for Highway to drive the big rig to every single location. This is also a callback to Knight Rider, as Michael Knight would drive Kit into the flag big rig for maintenance and to meet Devon for assignments. Although oddly, in this episode we don't get a title card for the opening credits, we do get a recurring joke in this episode that is somewhat misogynistic from a modern viewpoint. Highway keeps interrupting Tanya Winthrop at fancy social engagements and in one scene even throws her over his shoulder and dumps her in a public fountain. I'm glad this dynamic was dropped going forward. The character of Jetto was a welcome addition to the show and balanced out the straight man performance by Sam Jones quite well and told us not to take the show too seriously. You could even tell this in the promos for the show. This first episode got a 13.1 rating with a 22 share but the ratings went down each subsequent week. Oy! Episode 2, The Hitchhiker. With Joe Rigalbuto, who had just been in Street Hawk, but is best known as Frank on Murphy Brown. And Wendy Malick, probably best known in her later role as Nina Van Horn on Just Shoot Me. The Highwayman is assigned to transport a supposedly dead radioactive alien body from a UFO crash site to a research lab. But a reporter tails Highway and is determined to find out what is going on. And it turns out the alien is far from dead. I told you there would be aliens. In this episode, Jetto and Highway run around in Jetto's rig while Highway's rig is decontaminated. No vehicle transformations or detachments in this one. Written by Glenn Larson, this was a totally by-the-numbers boogeyman-on-the-loose story and a week entry for the short series. Oi! Episode 3, Till Death Duelist Part. Highway is off the grid in Mexico, where he stages a breakdown beside a prison and intentionally gets bitten by a snake to be taken inside and treated in the prison infirmary. Now inside, it turns out, he has developed an amount of immunity to the snake venom, and Highway breaks Cody Teague, his friend and mentor from Vietnam, out of the prison for stealing an armored car, a crime of which Highway is certain he is innocent. Now both of them are fugitives, and a number of parties, including Jetto, are after them as they search for the evidence to prove Cody's innocence. 
Ten minutes into this episode, we get a helicopter detachment, an air chase over what looks like Lake Powell, and we get a look at a feature of Highway Sidearm. It conveniently switches between 20 and 9mm ammunition with a little rocker switch. Alrighty then. Oi! Episode 4, Haunted Highway, with Marla Heasley from the A-Team, Gary Grubbs, one of those character actors you know him when you see him, and Native American actor Michael Horse as Sheriff Jerry New Eagle. For the first time, we get an additional voiceover leading into the episode. Long before the arrival of the white man, the Americas were inhabited by ancient tribes, some of whom believed in the existence of a fourth dimension. A parallel world where the dead continued to watch over the living and could be called upon for their wisdom. It was even believed by some that in times of extreme danger, the Holy Ones could bring forth their swords and destroy the enemies of their people. October 26, it was reported by the police that a band of warriors wearing primitive war paint destroyed valuable mining equipment and abducted an engineer named Rudolf Borcher, removing him to a sacred tribal mountaintop where they performed an ancient rite of execution, utilizing a religious totem and fire. When an American Indian is accused of murder, Highway and Jetto investigate and stumble onto a long-forgotten gold mine and an ancient Native American curse of fire and ice, which will kill anybody who tries to mine there. This was episode four, but it aired out of order due to being preempted by a Disney special and didn't air until six weeks later, becoming the last aired episode. Events that happen in this episode are even later referred to in episode nine, Frightmare. It looks like they experimented with having additional voiceovers leading into the story. Only this episode and the next one had these extra voiceover intros. We get a helicopter emergence, and in this one, instead of the Lotus, Highway and Jetto emerge on horseback out of the rig. Oi! Episode 5, Summer of 45, directed by Rob Bowman. And here we get another additional voiceover introducing us to the story. On July 16, 1945, an event took place at the end of this small road in New Mexico that changed history. It also created a rip in time that made it necessary to close the road forever. Tanya Winthrop goes into a government facility and doesn't come out. Highway and Jetto follow her in Jetto's rig. They drive in and find themselves in 1945 and promptly find themselves in the middle of a drag race and subsequent fistfight. It turns out some man from the present wants to end the atomic age before it begins. And Highway, Jetto, and Winthrop must stop him from being a suicide bomber to a backdrop of big band hits. Oh, there's an outro. Minus 30 seconds and counting. This story was intended to be fiction. After its production, it was discovered that on July 15, 1945, Les Brown and his band had journeyed to a secret military base in New Mexico, where they played for the men and women of the Manhattan Project the night before they detonated the world's first atomic bomb. This was an interesting Cold War throwback episode. Remember, this was early 1988. It hadn't been quite a year since Reagan asked Gorbachev to tear down this wall. We briefly get a sepia tone effect when they go back in time, but the show reverted to color at the next scene. Highway's rig does not appear in this episode, but we see Jetto detach his trailer for the first time and drive around in the car. And there's no DC Montana appearance in this episode either. Oi! Episode 6, Send in the Clones, with Terry Carter from Battlestar Galactica, Gary Lockwood, character actor Michael Pataki, and Howie Long as Mac. Highway picks up a man walking down the highway in the middle of nowhere, and they end up at a roadside diner, and the man starts chowing down. A group of army men bust in and take this strange man named Mac prisoner. 
Following a tip from D.C., Montana, Highway and Jetto very quickly discover people in vats of liquid. I think you know where this is going. Mac actually Vulcan neck pinches Highway and Jetto and steals Highway's outfit. This leads to Highway and Jetto chasing Mac across the country to New York City, where the Army sends the remaining clones after them. Five episodes in, and we have a backdoor pilot episode. McClone, the proposed series, was never produced. This is the only episode where they travel out of the Southwest. The rig is seen driving down New York City streets. The clones they send after the trio were totally wearing recycled visitors' outfits, complete with the black caps and oversized shades. Episode 7, Billionaire Body Club, with Christopher McDonald, Cindy Morgan, Nicholas Guest, and this one was written by Glenn Larson. When a young woman's dead body drained of blood and missing organs is uncovered, Highway and Jetto are sent in to investigate and join the young woman's sister, Mink, on the trail of a creepy, vaguely foreign doctor that maintains a philanthropic private club of young models and artists. But it turns out there is much more going on than meets the eye. In this episode, we have a helicopter emergence, and at the climax of the show, Jetto is all of a sudden inexplicably flying some helicopter, which is never explained. This is another paint-by-numbers episode with the most stilted, bad 80s action show dialogue. It's interesting that the two weakest entries of this short series were both penned by Glenn Larson. Episode 8, Warzone, directed by Rob Bowman, with Roger Davis, Ted Lang, Terry Kaiser, Wayne Newton, and Heather McNair from Automan. The episode opens, and Highway gets the call that Jetto has been in an accident and is unconscious at an army hospital. It turns out that Jetto had a head injury from five years ago. Jetto's mind reverts to five years ago, where he was double-crossed by comrades in battle, who turned out to be dealing in illegal drugs and weapons and tried to murder him. In a dazed and confused state, he hunts down the two men, who are now in high positions, as Highway and D.C. Montana are on the trail to stop him before the Army takes him out. D.C. gets some field work in this episode and gets to drive around the sports car. Yes, we have a Lotus of Spirit emergence in this one. This episode was fun, as we got to see Jetto get to cut loose a little bit. It's episode 9, Frightmare, with Vince Edwards, yes, TV's Dr. Ben Casey. The episode opens with an odd showdown between Jetto and Highway. Highway appears to gun Jetto down. Then we get a digital fade-out, showing we were watching an interpretation of what is being played back in someone's mind. The video screen then begins to play back events that happened in the last episode, but it is an altered version. Let's have DC Montana explain. Brain sweeping, using electro and chemical stimulation, combined with neurovisual opticals, digitally reproduced. In my native tongue. A dream machine. Super high-tech. Whatever you're thinking can be seen by others on a monitor. Very kinky. And very lethal. With increased dosage, you eventually tell the truth, or you die. Jetto and Highway are sent to hide out in Cabo and DC and Winthrop in Hawaii as part of an elaborate scheme to protect a witness until he can testify against mafia crime lord Manetti. But neither of them make it. DC and Winthrop get shanghaied in an elevator and Winthrop gets taken when Highway and Jetto find out they are on the trail to find her. Winthrop is now subjected to the sci-fi interrogation and we get to see clips from prior episodes although they are an altered narrative to feed the interrogators false information. And Highway, Jetto, and DC are in a race against time to save her before Minetti discovers the witness's true location. This episode, the last to be filmed, was originally designed to be the last broadcast episode. Instead, due to several Disney special preemptions, both Warzone and Haunted Highway aired after Frightmare. This is why you'll see inconsistent episode numbering online. Some people count the movie as episode 1, others don't. Some call Haunted Highway episode 9 instead of episode 4, since it was the ninth one aired, and so on. I couldn't find any information on exactly when the show was canceled by NBC, or if the network only ordered 9 episodes. As I said before, there isn't a lot of behind-the-scenes information out there on the series. Traditionally, a half-season was 13 episodes, but this show started so late in the season, it may have been a 9-episode order. 
Either way, my guess would be when Sin and the Clones aired and the ratings dropped to single digits would be when the cancellation decision was made. But it seems the writers were wrapping up the short season at any rate and sort of bookending the show with scenes from Road Ranger, Billionaire Body Club, Till Death Duelist Part, and Haunted Highway as sort of a light clip show. We also get a little insight into the mindset of Jeddo and Tanya in the altered narratives of the memories that they conjure up. Then the Highwayman was taken off the air. Some episodes were repeated on NBC as filler later in the year, but I don't find evidence it was ever syndicated in the U.S. But it was shown in a number of countries overseas later in 1988. Behind the Scenes The TV series was filmed on location in the Great Southwest, and would give special thanks to Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona in the credits of each episode. The character of DC Montana was an obvious nod to DC Fontana, who we've come across already on Forgotten TV, writer and story editor of the original Star Trek, Star Trek the Animated Series, The Fantastic Journey, Logan's Run, and Star Trek The Next Generation, among many other writing credits. Many write-ups of the show refer to it as post-apocalyptic, or describe it as a cross between Knight Rider and the Road Warrior. But really, the highwaymen themselves, and the way they dress and present themselves, are the only post-apocalyptic element. Society seems to be little different from present-day 1988. Cities have power, gasoline, maintained roads, police, and other services. In Episode 5, they even go into New York City, and it seems perfectly normal. The idea has been put forward that the Highwaymen exist in the same TV universe as Knight Rider, or Airwolf, or possibly both. This idea has been forwarded by fans who suggest that the organization Flag, the agency Michael Knight worked for Knight Rider, is who the Highwaymen work for, or that they are employed by the mysterious firm from Airwolf. Both of these are a stretch, to say the least. I personally think they are reading way too much into some reused dashboard pieces. They were clearly federal marshals working for the U.S. government. This was stated numerous times. Honestly, there's no need to think that hard about it. In all, this was fun action 80s Friday night TV. Hardly groundbreaking, yes, reusing elements of things we saw before and very similar in tone to shows like Stingray, The Equalizer, The A-Team, with writing more simplistic than we're used to today, but certainly passable entertainment. NBC struggled with the following fall season against the CBS and ABC powerhouses. CBS with its solid lineup of Beauty and the Beast, Dallas and Falcon Crest. ABC with its lineup of comedies that would be branded the TGIF block of programming the following year. NBC moved Sunny Spoon to 7 p.m. Central and added the short-lived forgotten TV show Something Is Out There at 8 p.m., and then they tried various iterations of the lineup. But it wasn't until the 1989 fall season that it had a hit on Friday night in that time slot with Baywatch. After the Highwayman Sam Jones was in a number of direct-to-video action films after The Highwayman throughout the 1990s and, and guest starred on TV shows such as Key West, Baywatch, Thunder in Paradise, Renegade, Walker, Texas Ranger, Silk Stockings, and L.A. Heat. He starred in the 1998 syndicated family TV series Hollywood Safari and guest starred on the 2007 sci-fi channel reimagining of Flash Gordon. Then he largely stopped acting, but he found a new career. An ex-Marine, he became a bodyguard and hostage extraction specialist to high-profile clients. He later founded his own security firm, Intercordon Inc., an international security company providing diplomatic and executive protection for high-profile clients around the world. He re-entered pop culture in a big way in 2012 in the movie Ted, playing a hilarious, satirized version of himself. Sam is currently 62 and has a couple of films currently in post-production and still makes public appearances. One thing is certain, we have not seen the last of Sam Jones. Oi! Mark Jacko Jackson was a former professional Aussie footballer. After his sports career, he tried his hand at a singing career to some initial success with his outrageous single, I'm an Individual, releasing in 1985, hitting number one on the Australian singles chart. Someday there'll be people like me walking on the moon If you think you've got enough to put me in my 
certainly is. A second single, Me Brain Hurts, was not so successful. Then, in September of 1986, a movie was released that enabled Jacko to ride a pop culture fad for several years. Good night. Big Don Day from Australia. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? This guy in town for a couple of days. Probably see you around. Fine. The 1986 mega-hit Crocodile Dundee spurred worldwide pop culture interest in all things Australian. Then Jacko started appearing in commercials and became the face of Energizer batteries for several years and was the last human spokesman of the company before the emergence of the Energizer Bunny. A battery-powered action figure of sorts of Jacko as the Energizer spokesman was even released, called the Oi! Jacko Gym. Jacko could talk and do push-ups and other exercises and wore an Energizer shirt. The toy even showed up in one of the Australian Energizer commercials. The batteries were not included. Jacko was acknowledged in the third Crocodile Dundee film as Mick's friend is named Jacko. Oi! Jane Badler, who came to fame as Diana in the 1983 miniseries V, appeared in the 1989 Mission Impossible series, as well as Australian series such as Cluedo and Neighbors. She appeared as another version of Diana in the ABC 2011 reboot of V. Oi! Tim Russ appeared as a regular TV actor in numerous guest and one-off roles before cementing his place in genre pop culture forever when he was cast as the Vulcan Tuvok in 1995 on Star Trek Voyager. He has enjoyed a great deal of work since as an actor and director and engages the fan community at conventions and has worked on Star Trek fan films. The Highwayman. Toby Hooper has died at age 74, known mainly for his horror films Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He directed the 1979 TV movie Salem's Lot, as well as episodes of Amazing Stories, The Equalizer, Freddy's Nightmares, Nowhere Man, and Dark Skies. Actor Jay Thomas has died at 69 after a battle with cancer. He got his start on television in 1979 as Remo on Mork and Mindy. He is well remembered for his nine appearances on Cheers as Eddie LeBeck, as well as Murphy Brown, among many other appearances. He had a lead role in the mid-90s Diane English sitcom, Love and War. Jerry Lewis has died at 91, a longtime film comedy icon whose large body of films were endlessly rerun on afternoon television when I grew up. June Foray has died at 99, a legendary voice actress. She was the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel, Granny on the Warner Brothers cartoons, and countless others including the creepy talky Tina doll on the Twilight Zone episode, Living Doll. Martin Landau at age 89, a talented actor, known of course for his roles on Mission Impossible and Space 1999, and numerous film roles, including my favorite, playing Bela Lugosi in Tim Burton's 1994 film, Ed Wood. Skip Homier at age 86, perhaps not a household name, but after a start in film, he was a prolific TV guest star and highly recognizable as Dr. Severin on the Star Trek episode, The Way to Eden. Next time on Forgotten TV. It's Sam Jones again in the 1987 TV movie, The Spirit. That's next time on Forgotten TV. Forgotten TV is not affiliated with NBC, 
Glenn A. Larson Productions, or 20th Century Fox Television. The Highwayman and other mentioned series and associated characters are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purposes of review, commentary, and criticism only, and are not intended to infringe. And of course, I'd like to thank the following YouTube channels for making this episode possible, especially Dicer and TV's Sledgehammer, as well as Pre-9-11 America, Piani Man, TV Stuff 2, Jump Street 13542, Ben W783A, Mr. Muffin, and Aussie 80s. Forgotten TV is a member of the Frequent Wire Podcast Network. Listen to other great podcasts by clicking the link to Frequent Wire in the show notes. And remember to listen to Walnut Grovecast, where we discuss episodes of Little House in the Prairie and more Little House actor interviews are on the way. Be sure and like the Forgotten TV Facebook page and follow me on Twitter. All of those links are found at Forgotten.tv. I'm Chris Cooling, and this has been Forgotten TV.